Well, we started last week, and, and uh, I know it was a really encouraging sermon on hell. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those moments um, you just kind of realize this is a reality. And uh, <laughs> as believers, I, I would hope that we are deeply, deeply grateful uh, for the salvation that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were headed there apart from the grace of God. Amen? And I think that's important to understand, that's important to know, that's important to be reminded of from time to time because the truth of the matter is, is we can get very comfortable in our lives and we can uh, get to the point where we forget sometimes the hope that we have and the need that people all around us have of hearing about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this passage this morning in Revelation chapter 20, the first part of this, we looked at last week, hell is a real place for fallen angels and unbelievers. And when you think about this, the lake of fire, it's unimaginable. It's hard to even grasp the lake of fire. But it's a real place, and it's a place of eternal judgment that only those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will be rescued from. There is one way, folks. And we know that. We understand that. I believe we glorify God for that, and we also are deeply grateful. The question is, how is that transforming us to the point where we're willing to say to the Lord, Lord, here's our lives, and use us in whatever way that you choose in order to testify through us of your grace and your goodness? Because there are people all around us destined for hell, destined for the lake of fire. The second part, and we're going to look at the second and third part of this this morning, but the great white throne judgment will be for unbelievers of all ages throughout history, which will come at the end of the millennium. And I, I can't even describe to you how overwhelming it is to read this passage in Revelation 20. I began to, to read this over and over, and I've read it throughout the past weeks, but as I sat down and I knew that I was going to be really getting into it this week, I just began to weep. It's unimaginable. I think of my own family, I think of family members, I think of friends. And folks, there's coming a moment here where for all unbelievers of all eternity, the great or the small, they will stand before the Lord. They have an opportunity in this life to recognize that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. And if they do not, one day they will. And when we begin to think through the, the magnitude of that, I can't help but pray not only in my own life, but in all of ours as well, that we would get on our faces before God and recognize that whatever it is that we think is difficult today pales in comparison to the glories of that which is coming and that we would simply yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and be used of him in order to declare his greatness to those all around us so that they too can experience the love of Christ. Only through believing in Christ can one be rescued or saved from the eternal punishment in hell. 
It's not through our good deeds. It's not through how many things we've done that outweigh uh, those things which are perhaps bad in our lives. It has nothing to do with our good works. It has nothing to do with our ability to change. It has everything to do with what Christ Jesus did at the cross where he shed his blood and died so that we might be forgiven when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we being used of the Lord in all the different areas and arenas of our lives in order to be a testimony, to be light within this world? Well, the first part of this, the great white throne judgment, in verse 11 of chapter 20 in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we get this picture of the Lord God Almighty. And words really fail at this point, don't they? We begin to talk about the mightiness of God. We begin to talk about the greatness of God. And this picture that John has given this vision, in verse 11, he says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Think about that. Meditate on that. I saw a great white throne. It's white because God is holy. He is righteous. He is pure in all that he does. And him who sat upon it. John has given a vision of the Lord God Almighty who holds all things in his hands. And earth and heaven literally could not stand before the Lord. No place was found for earth and heaven. You think about the power of God. You think about how mighty God is. We begin to think of Jesus Christ and he is our friend. We have an opportunity to walk with him day by day, moment by moment. But sometimes I think we have lost the vision of the holiness and the mighty awesomeness of God. In these passages, we see people who have rejected Christ, rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, standing before the Lord God Almighty. I've reminded of several different pictures that are given to us in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and following, where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And listen to this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple, and seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The first five chapters, Isaiah is pronouncing woe upon all these different nations and kingdoms. And he gets to chapter 6, he gets to this particular moment, and he has a vision of the Lord. And instead of looking at everybody else and pronouncing woe to them, he recognizes that he is undone. Because he's a man of unclean lips, and he lives among a people of unclean lips. You think about the whole earth being filled with the glory of God. You think about God on his throne. 
mighty, majestic, holy, blameless. It's overwhelming. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 and following, Ezekiel is given a picture, an image of the holiness and the glory of God. He says, now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. And then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire, and there was radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice speaking. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to picture the holiness, the mightiness, the awesomeness of the Lord. I love Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and following. Daniel's being given these visions, and in this particular passage, he has a picture of the Ancient of Days, and he says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the book were opened, giving us a glimpse of the final judgment. What was the response of each of these godly men? What was the response when they began to see the glory of God and the holiness and how mighty God is in this heavenly picture of one sitting on his throne, majestic, high and lifted up? It's to worship. Ezekiel falls down. Isaiah declares that he's unclean. Daniel, at times, was so overwhelmed by the visions that were given to him that he needed the angel to be able to strengthen him in order to stand up. When we see a picture of the Lord God Almighty, we begin to understand the holiness of God, and we begin to understand how great and mighty and how awesome our God is, I would think that our response would be to simply fall on our faces before him, from our hearts to worship him, and to recognize that he is glorious, that he's almighty, that what he's done for us is beyond words in so many ways. How are we walking with him? How are we serving him? How do we recognize how great God truly is. How are we getting caught up in the mundane things of the world and we forget that the Lord God Almighty reigns? There are people all around us that one day are going to stand before the great white throne of the Lord God Almighty and they are going to be judged. They face an eternity completely and utterly separated from God. No joy, no peace, no relationships, the absence of any kind of goodness, suffering torment forever. How are we as the people of God renewed in a vision of the greatness of God to where our response is to simply say, Lord, here's my life. 
use it in whatever way you choose. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Why? Because Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. Walverd says this, all final judgments deal with works. Remember the Bema Seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3? We deal with the church and there's the, the judgment of our works, our work as believers. It is not a judgment based on salvation, whether we're going to go to heaven or whether we're going to have eternal life or not. That's been based on whether we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is based on how we have served the Lord, how we have experienced God, how have we been transformed by the Lord, how have we yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ so that God in us begins to transform us and as we begin to walk with him, he leads us in the good works that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the earth and he actually empowers us to do them. He goes on, he says, whether the works of Christians rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ or the works of the unsaved which are in view here in Revelation 20. The question of who is saved is determined not in heaven, but in life on earth. What is revealed here is the confirmation of one's destiny by means of God's written records. We have one life to live. And throughout this entire lifetime, which is literally like withering grass, which is like vapor that is gone in a moment, the most important decision is what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe that he went to the cross for my sin? And am I willing to receive that and accept from him the payment that he made on my behalf? Folks, that's the most important thing. Everything else pales in comparison. When we talk about eternity, we're talking about forever and ever and ever, and you can't even get your mind around that. I can't even get my mind around that. Am I going to walk with the Lord in heaven, or am I going to be separated from him for an eternity? The issue here is, do we know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we walking with him? And as believers, are we willing to declare his message to those around us? In verse 13, it says this, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up, or Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And I start it with verse 13 because there's this picture before the great white throne of the Lord God Almighty of all of humanity who have not believed in Jesus Christ for salvation being brought before the throne. The sea is simply speaking of all of humanity and it is speaking of death and Hades where those who have died who are waiting for this judgment are now brought forward before the Lord God Almighty and his throne. And it says very specifically, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Now what are they being judged for? That's an interesting question because he goes on, or if you go look back, I've, I switched verses. I'm sorry, did you catch that? Verse 13 kind of gives us the big picture. Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Plural. Who is standing before the throne? The great and the small. All of the dead of humanity, all of the dead from all of history who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
are now brought before the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't matter how great you were on this earth, how in effect perhaps meaningless you think your life may be. It doesn't matter what your social economic status is. It doesn't matter what your titles are. All the dead, the great and the small, will be before the Lord God Almighty. And what is being depicted here are those who do not believe, do not have a personal relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the books were opened. Well, Romans 3.23 makes this clear, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 5.12 where he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. In other words, all men, as he says in Romans, have been shut up under sin. Why? So that there's the recognition of the need for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if somebody does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible's very clear on this. If you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never received the gift that he offers, the payment that he made at the cross on our behalf for our sin, then we will spend eternity separate, separated from him. The only way to heaven, the only way to heaven is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving the forgiveness that he offers through the death that he accomplished on the cross. All the small, all the dead, all the great will appear. Why? Because all of humanity is in need of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And that's very clear from Scripture. Another book is opened, and that is the book of life. In other words, the books are opened, and then what's called the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life has all the names in it from history who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the picture here is that when this book is open, the Lamb's book of life, if somebody's name is not in it, it's not because they were not offered salvation. It's not because they didn't have the opportunity to be saved. It's because they rejected in one way or another the salvation that has been provided through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But he continues and he goes further with regard to these books. He says, the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The word judged here simply means it was distinguished, it was discerned as to what their deeds are. The word deeds means the works, the things that they spent their lives doing. Their name is not in the Lamb's book of life and as a result, they are not saved. They are facing an eternity separated from God and being punished eternally because of sin. And their deeds are evaluated. Now why is he doing this? Is it because somehow we're gonna look at whether they did really good and maybe they could get in that way? Absolutely not. They're looking at the deeds in order to discern what is the punishment? What is the level, if you will, of suffering that this individual will now be punished? for eternity with regard to. Think about that. Just as the believer is salvation by faith in Christ alone 
And that foundation secure. Our work will be placed upon that and it will be tested. And whatever remains is of the Lord. And he will reward us for it. It has nothing to do with whether we were saved or not. It has everything to do with God's desire to reward the believer. So to the unbeliever, the question is not whether you had enough good works in order to outweigh the evil or the bad works. The question is, how much have you done that you now need to be punished for? These people are not believers. They're not appearing before the great white throne in order to discern whether they should be allowed into heaven. They're appearing before the Lord God Almighty in order to be judged for their works to discern what is the righteous, holy punishment. That's unfathomable. I don't know where to go with that, do you? I thank God that for the believer, not only is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us, and as a result, we can trust the word of God that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his promise is unequivocal and irrevocable, and it is that we shall be saved. Amen. And then I thank God, as a believer, that anything that has ever happened in my life that is not of him, that was sin, it was not of faith, will be burned up and done away with. The only thing that will remain is that which God did in and through me, that which God does in and through each and every one of us. And his desire is to reward. It is not to put down. It is not to mock. It is rather to lift up and thank God that I won't have eternity to spend worrying about the blemishes and the impurities, the imperfections of my life. It'll be gone. Thank God for that. But for the unbeliever standing before the Lord God Almighty who has already rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, who is now facing an eternity completely and utterly separated from the Lord God Almighty, the question now becomes, what is the depth of their loss? Unimaginable. I can't even sometimes get my mind around that. Can you? Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Wow. Think about that. How does he judge? In righteousness. Is he able to mete out justice Faithfully and righteously, utterly devoid of of any bias. Yes, he is. And he alone is able to do that. He alone can accomplish that. All judgment has been given to the Son by the Father. And he will judge those who have not believed in him. And the books will be opened and their deeds will be brought forth. And the depth of their loss their depravity, and now their eternal suffering will be brought out. Paul speaks to this in Acts chapter 17, and actually this is an interesting passage because in Acts 17, Paul is not speaking to believers here. He's speaking to unbelievers. He's testifying about the goodness of God. Verses 24 through 31 
And Paul says this, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Everybody everywhere should repent. Change your mind about your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is coming a moment where the Lord himself will judge the world in righteousness. Folks, if that doesn't get you to the heart, if that doesn't absolutely move and shake us as believers, that all people everywhere need the Lord. They need the Lord. They need his hope. They need his forgiveness. They need his love. They need his restorative power, his transforming grace, because only God can accomplish salvation. (laughs) Think about that. Well, the decree here is indescribable. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. It says in verse 14 of chapter 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And I want you to just think about this for a moment. The word thrown here, to throw. Death and Hades have this done to them. Think about this. At this particular point in time, eternity is sealed. There is no turning back. There is no ability for an individual to repent any longer. The word thrown here is in the passive and it literally has the idea that they were thrown into the lake of fire. This was done to them. Today, people have an opportunity to make a decision. But once somebody dies, if they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, then there will be no other opportunity. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The decree, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, and as a result, there will be an eternal judgment that takes place. He goes on, he says, this is the second death, the lake of fire. Unimaginable. Only through believing in Christ can one be rescued or saved from eternal punishment in hell. Verse 15 is such an amazing statement. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown 
into the lake of fire. It personalizes it. It's not just death in Hades. It's not just this mass. It is individuals. If their name is not found written in the book of life, they are thrown forever into the lake of fire. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? How do I make sure my name is in the Lamb's book of life? (laughs) Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know this well, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. By grace through faith in Christ. Or Acts 16, 31 And Paul is speaking to the Philippian jailer and he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, meaning all those who also believe. Think about that. How do you make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize your need of salvation. You recognize that you're lost, that you have sin, and it is separating you from a holy, awesome, righteous God. And you receive from him the gift of salvation, which he paid for and accomplished at the cross. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the consequences if your name is not written in the book of life? Well, obviously from this context, it is eternal separation from God. It is the second death or hell, which is the lake of fire, where there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no love, there's no relationship or fellowship forever. Indescribable. The greatest decision that anyone has to make in our lifetime, in their lifetime, is the question of what do we do with Jesus? Do we believe in him for salvation alone or not? Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes what? Judgment. Judgment. I like how one commentary put it, humans are sinful Creatures destined to die once and after that to face judgment. But this danger is turned aside. Think about that. This danger is turned aside by the fact that Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Wow. 